Happy Holidays from the DSR Network. We are deeply appreciative of our members and the year that we've had. To celebrate the holiday season, we are offering a 50% discount on either your first month or first year of membership. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the members-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of December, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month or for the first year. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSRHOLIDAY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSRHOLIDAY. Thank you very much for your support. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, We are uh, really fortunate to be able today to talk to a friend who has some of the most interesting perspectives on some of the most important issues that we cover. Jeffrey Sonnenfeld is currently Senior Associate Dean for Leadership Studies and Lester Crown Professor in Management Practice at the Yale School of Management, as well as Founder and President of the Chief Executive Leadership Institute a nonprofit educational and research institute focused on CEO leadership and corporate governance. Uh, hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Uh, great, David. It's an honor to join you again. Uh, uh, thanks so much. And thanks so much for that, that wonderful introduction. Uh, I, I should say, gosh, you, uh, you should have said so many nice things, but then I realized we probably sent you a blurb, so I couldn't even feign modesty. I, I was told I had to say all those nice things about you. <laughs> Um, in any event, um, uh, well, let me start, let me start with this. You, 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 because of your CEO affiliation, um, uh, I have a, another one of your sort of CEO gatherings coming up, uh, next week, uh, in, uh, New York city, I think. And, uh, you know, the, the kind of the question on my mind is that the kind of issues that we talk about here among all of our now, many, many, many podcasts each week, um, which are international issues, issues like Israel and Gaza, issues like Ukraine, issues like how do you cope with the coming AI revolution? Uh, how do these things figure in the minds of CEOs at the moment? Well, uh, you know, CEOs are playing a catch-up game, like many of us, when it comes to social media uh, we have uh, very careful rules uh, that I think have been appropriate over the years in terms of uh, foreign control of uh, traditional media. And the FCC has put people through the ringer so much so that another you know, Rupert Murdoch uh, decades ago had to change his citizenship to make his, some of his acquisitions, as you recall, in, in, uh, in the broadcast space. Uh, but the, the thought there was uh, trying to uh, ensure that uh, the public sentiment is not being manipulated by adversarial powers. The social media, that's completely bypassed. So we do have 
concerns where CEOs are worried uh, about promotion of hate speech and also the pairing of uh, their uh, their identities, uh, their their branded uh, advertising and the rest uh, in some hostile ways. The most uh, uh, I think uh, salient one right now and most is really prevalent on TikTok with a, that short uh, video format that uh, is, of course, uh, China owned and controlled. It reaches uh, uh, the top. T- it's one of the uh, top 10 uh, news sites uh, I- in the world. Uh, and uh, with that, uh, Anthony Goldblum, uh, who is a, a data scientist and an entrepreneur, has found that there are 54 views of videos with pro-Palestinian hashtag, 54 for every TikTok video that has a uh, a, a pro-Israel one. That's just pretty overwhelming. And just even a, a cursory scroll through these TikTok videos that you can find there uh, reveals that many of them are, are rampantly atrocity-denying anti-Semitic uh, pieces. And Jonathan Greenblatt of the Anti-Defamation League has actually done a, a, a catalog of that. Uh, and what uh, what Gordon uh, Krovitz of NewsGuard, Stephen Brill of, of NewsGuard have found that so many advertisers are, are finding themselves uh, 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 appearing side by side uh, with their brand, uh, with this kind of a- anti-Semitic vile. And, and people are spending on, on TikTok uh, 30 minutes a day. If you spend that much time, there's a 20% increase that the respondent has strongly anti-Semitic views on some of the research. So this is a, a major concern of CEOs. Deborah Lipstadt, of course, who's the, the anti uh, anti-Semitism, uh, uh, a special envoy in the, in, the, in the Biden administration, has also been focusing in particular, but it's not just foreign influences, it's meta as well. There've been a lot of problems. This is a brand new book out by uh, Jeff Horwitz in the Wall Street Journal, just showing meta's own internal reports, showing problems they have. Uh, and it's not just anti-Israel or anti-Semitism, but it's Islamophobia that's been soaring there in Meta that's uh, been out of control. And they've admitted they have this problem. And of course, uh, a lot of people saw uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin uh, try to probe uh, these problems on Twitter with Elon Musk last week at his DealBook Summit. And uh, uh, Musk, uh, instead of appearing contrite or talking about uh, platitudes or realities about improved controls, he told them to go F themselves, uh, advertisers, for raising concerns for CEOs being concerned about about the uh, the damage the ba- the damage to their brands, not to mention uh, the damage to the, the the fabric of social harmony in society because of this hate speech promotion. Uh, just this morning, NPR has has a, a piece out just showing how China is intensively doing this and in, in, in trying to divide the country more. And we expect that Russia will be entering too. But uh, NPR has some new research on that. Uh, that's that's fascinating in, in ramping up for next year's elections. You know, it's uh, the the definition of psychological operations, psyops. Uh, really, at its core, is the ability to control the flow of information so it supports your particular perspective in a conflict. Um, and uh, there are a variety of ways of doing this, and you know. Uh, uh, social media have ways to do it invisibly. They throttle people, they throttle different ideas, uh, and all of a sudden you get the perception that one view is prevalent, even if it's not. 
Uh, countries have ways of doing it too, and there is there are countervailing forces here. The Israelis have denied journalists entry into Gaza, and they've played up the stories that have happened um, uh, in their own country uh, for perfectly natural reasons. But mainstream media then get skewed um, perspectives. All of these entities, however, skewing one way or another, end up being supported. Um, by corporate advertisers. And, you know, it used to be that there was some expectation of objectivity in those, uh, you know, efforts, by, you know, that, you know, you, was, you would advertise on something, but you wouldn't get caught up in a, um, in, in a you know, bitter political or social uh, a dispute. Uh, now it's more likely than not than you will. Um, is that is do you think see that as a as a big and growing problem for companies? You know, it's so interesting you say that. Uh, there's a a book I'm looking around this library, uh, uh, but happily only you can see the OSHA hazard that's uh, around me here. Uh, oh, here it is. Looks it's, very <laughs> looks very scholarly. <laughs> Thank you, but it's a, it's not a fake backdrop. But your viewers can't your your listeners can't see it. But this is a book called Technologies of Freedom by a great political scientist who's no longer with us uh, uh, called Technologies of Ichthyl de Solo Pool, who was a very good political scientist at MIT that only you might remember uh, among the listeners, David, who this Technologies of Freedom was talking about how all this social media, all the digital revolution, um, and, and by the way, it, it, the guy is, is brilliant as a technologist as well uh, as, as a political scientist, and he's very foresighted. The book came out in 1983, Newt Gingrich and others across the political spectrum used this uh, as uh, as many of our enthusiasts did in the late 80s by talking about the democratization of, of, of the digital world, how it was going to empower citizens, how autocracy and propaganda would dissolve because we couldn't put these blocks on it. And the reality is in that ancient world of only three TV networks and terrestrial-based technologies, uh, where uh, it, it's uh, who would ever have thought, David, that we would be nostalgic for that period, where with terrestrial broadcasts, it's a lot harder to limit them than with the internet pipeline, which we thought couldn't be blocked. But we see how how uh, how China and others, uh, and Russia, of course, censor it very actively. And to my great frustration, only four percent of Russians who are uh, the appropriate target of our sanctions, and not Putin, the average Russian who is complacent through complicity. A complicit uh, through their complacency, only four percent download a, me- a VPN to get the truth. Uh, it's very upsetting to see that we have more filtered information than ever. But back when we had only those three networks with terrestrial-based technology that was hard to block, is that we also uh, had these fairness doctrines because it was a limited spectrum of available broadcast uh, media, so that we were holding people accountable. And and now we just see that. Uh, unless it, we're depending on the, the integrity and the values of, of different operations and public scrutiny uh, with shows like you that are putting some effort on it. But uh, Ch- China is definitely stepping up their efforts. This NPR report that just came out as we were hooking up together this morning, as we were put, uh, li- linking in together for this discussion, they, they have just taken down five Chinese networks, a meta has, a fake fake accounts most recently, uh, and uh, these are all uh, government-produced accounts of full. Uh, it's not just propaganda, but it's it's just apparently 
all fake news that's being pumped in and targeting for divisiveness in the U.S. And, and just a, a few days ago, they took down a network of about 5,000 Facebook account, accounts that are impersonating Americans uh, uh, about domestic politics and U.S.-China relations, the fake names and everything. And we never conceived of this before. So it's a, it is a, a huge problem. And CEOs uh, are not ahead of the rest of us on trying to figure out how to master this problem and how the, the, the commercial brand, but also uh, the reputation of companies gets caught up in this. It's something we know from the Edelman Trust Barometer that despite the governance scandals of the last few decades that you and I have been watching and commenting on, because of bigger problems happening in uh, national governance and sadly uh, at state levels and now more recently on municipal levels, the clergy and academia and sadly traditional media have all taken a step backwards, fallen in public confidence, and CEOs have been ascendant in terms of public trust. As their brands get diverted and diluted and manipulated this way, it's very worrisome. Well, I think, yeah, it is worrisome. I, I also think that CEOs, like um, uh, leaders in, in different countries about, around the world, are always looking for uh, comparative advantage. And one of the comparative advantages that will emerge over time is the ability to harness um, AI. And, uh, uh, you know, countries will use, use that to uh, enhance military power and economic power, but so will companies. And uh, clearly, one of the ways that we're already seeing very, very early forms of AI, uh, which is all we're seeing right now, uh, manifest itself is um, uh, advertising messages that are ultra-targeted. Um, but a- as many disinformation specialists talk about, uh, you know, uh, an a- absolutely certain application of AI is going to be disinformation messages that are very clearly targeted. Uh, that you're going to be able, you know, once back in the days of those three terrestrial net- networks, you, you got a megaphone, you went out, you spoke, you reached X million people, uh, and you did so within the rules of the Fairness Doctrine. In this new environment where everything is web-based and everything is AI-powered, they can send you a message and me a message. The messages can be different. They can go, you know, Jeff, I know that, you know, XYZ from your history uh, appeals to you. And so here's XYZ and, and say to me something that's slightly different. Um, that's, that's so, uh, so true. it may be that they contribute to that. You know, it may be that corporations play a role in creating, um, a, a kind of media ecosystem where you can't trust anything. Uh, it, they have an obligation out of enlightened self-interest to fortify trust. You can't, have a free enterprise system that works, let alone democracies, if uh, if there isn't what uh, Tocqueville told us was social capital. He coined that term. It isn't some woke term of 18 months ago that was created. In fact, uh, Tocqueville came to this country. He said it was basically the voice of civic leaders that made the very loosely written laws work in the country. He came, of course, here from France to study what made our laws work so well at that time in 1840. And he was surprised it wasn't the tightness, but the looseness. And he, he said that the social capital is the public voice of leaders across institutions to help interpret the laws. And that was more important, or at least as important, as financial capital. But we see now that X, you know, formerly known as Twitter, uh, that uh, that NewsGuard has has found that of uh, their blue check, the verified uh, 
uh, uh, users supposedly verified 74% of the platform's uh, most uh, viral, false, and unsubstantiated claims are uh, of uh, anti-Semitic denials of the atrocities and doctored footage meant to stoke Islamist phobia as well. Uh, and uh, as the NewsGuard brought this out, Musk, you know, responded uh, telling them it's just a pay-to-play uh, scheme and not to believe it. And then, as, as you know, Media Matters, a, 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 a nonprofit and NGO in this space, published a report finding that X placed corporate advertisements for companies such as Apple and Bravo, IBM, Oracle, and Comcast next to pro-Nazi, anti-Semitic, and Islamophobic content. Uh, X, of course, denied this, and their response, instead of improving it, was to sue them for it. So, uh, and, and, of course, uh, X's owner must uh, to go F themselves. Um, yeah, well, there's a lot of that going on now in our not quite civil society. And I, I, you know, you're so smart to bring up the, uh, Tocqueville comp concept of social capital. And you just sort of wonder how we've gotten to where we are, where, uh, I don't know if Tocqueville visited the United States in, uh, 2025, he would be. Uh, potentially extremely shocked by the decline, particularly if we have, uh, you know, a move away from democracy in this country in that period. Uh, David, uh, that is so fantastic that if if you don't write about that or speak about that in the near future, I will, or we, maybe we should go on together and do it. But I, I can't believe I haven't thought of it before, but let me now put that on the record that if I do it, I'm stealing the idea from you. So please do it. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, as Tocqueville would have said himself, Zygazant. Go, you know, he was go- um, <laughs> that's, that's French for sure. That is, that was, that was, yeah, happy Hanukkah. 19th century French. Anyway, um, is, speaking of that, you are ensconced um, in an ivory tower of learning. Uh, and the ivory towers of learning are not doing so well this week um, uh, because. Uh, presidents of uh, three Ivy League universities have been, you know, were called in and talked to Congress about um, the, the the mood on campus, anti-Semitic and uh, Islamophobic, although many on the right do not believe Islamophobia really exists or is important. But, um, uh, and the response of the presidents, which I actually understood why they responded as they did, which was to sort of defend the idea of of you know a, a rules based system that encouraged as much uh, open exchange as possible uh, was excoriated. There, I mean, you know, and 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 I understand why people are angry with it. How do you think university CEOs are doing dealing with this fractious moment? Well. Uh- just between us friends, uh, we friends, uh, if, if, if hope it's okay if I name names, because I do think there have been some, some very odd moves. Just a week ago, Michael Bloomberg, yes, that Michael Bloomberg, the, 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 the media, the technology, financial, uh, uh, journalist, uh, superstar, uh, multi-billionaire and, you know, three-time mayor of New York and a person deserving of great admiration came out with a, bizarre stance saying that university presidents should not speak out, given that he was always in favor of CEOs in other sectors speaking out about social justice issues. 
it was stunning. And I, I kept reading this Wall Street Journal op-ed. First, you know, why would Michael Bloomberg or the Bloomberg empire feel to be heard? He needs to not use his own media, but to go to Rupert Murdoch's media, which I wished he had bought instead of Murdoch. But instead, so he put it in the in the Wall Street Journal. And he uh, very, uh, I think, uh, recklessly cited a, a famous but often misinterpreted 1967 report at the University of Chicago. You know what you find? There are a lot of things that come out of the University of Chicago, join uh, the public discourse and get cited, but don't get read. I know that you and, I, and every one of your listeners has heard that Milton Friedman supposedly said of the University of Chicago economist that the only responsibility of business is the bottom line. They cite some hazy reference to a, a 1971 New York Times article. They don't actually go back and read that article. If you did go back and read that article, you would see that in that New York Times magazine article, on he never uses the word bottom line. He does mention profits. He never says it's the only responsibility. And he recur, refers to, uh, in paragraph 26 in there, he refers to social amenities instead instead of it being social capital or ESG or whatever term you want, corporate social responsibility. He and he addresses it as in the long term interest of the shareholders. There it is, paragraph twenty six. So I guess Milton Friedman was more woke than we thought at Chicago. And similarly, what Bloomberg just cited is this nineteen sixty seven report uh, that uh, is uh, that was uh, suggesting that uh, universities. It should not actually take, it was called the Calvin Report, K-A-L-V-E-N Report on Institutional Neutrality, saying that companies shouldn't speak up uh, in the midst of the Vietnam War uh, because it's, you know, is that it's saying that the university should have uh, sponsor a portfolio of critics, but the university should not itself be the critic. But they don't, nobody goes back and reads that report to see that even that report says, quote, there are exceptions that should be for situations that threaten the very mission of the university and its values of free inquiry. But don't racism and anti-Semitism threaten that mission? And you know, and how about the populist authoritarianism? So universities should speak out. And there's this distorted notion that those three university presidents that we just saw uh, from Penn, MIT, uh, and Harvard uh, before Congress uh, two days ago wrongly saying that you can't uh, be um, uh, disciplined for free speech constitutionally for anything you say. It has to be what you do. And and uh, one congresswoman actually pressed further. So you say genocidal speech shouldn't be criticized, only genocidal actions. They have to act on it. And, they, and the, this one university president said, yes, uh, is this ridiculous, is in fact uh, th- that's not what the Constitution says. Freedom of expression, even in the public square, is not absolute. With the old cliche about yelling, uh, you know, fire in a crowded theater, it's not absolute in the public square. It's not absolute, of course, in a public university. And in a private university, like any private employer, you have responsibilities uh, for for safety and, and, uh, and the kind of a culture and climate you create there is the pro- promotion of hate speech t- against almost any other targeted minority would be severely disciplined. And it certainly should be when it comes to Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. Uh, yeah, no, no question about it. Needless to say, one of the things that strikes me about it um, is that some of the people who are most exercised about the university presidents not taking action in the case of anti-Semitism were um, on the other side when the university presidents, you know, seem to 
uh, keep certain kinds of people from saying certain kinds of things on campus politically. Uh, and, and, you know, there is a tension. And, and frankly, there is a lack of logical consistency. You're exactly right. Even the University of Chicago and Vanderbilt and USC and Northwestern, where you have presidents today that say, oh, we shouldn't speak out. Those exact presidents that those institutions did, and I applaud them for doing so after the murder of George Floyd and things like that. So you're exactly right. Where's the consistency? But also, where's the courage? You know, we have Michael Roth of Wesley and, and uh, a guy named Ron Leibowitz, who, uh, who, uh, who's the president at, uh, at Brandeis, that are speaking out now. And, of course, uh, Janetta Cole, uh, who, uh, when she was president of Spelman and others, were leading examples. But that post-war generation of great leaders in all sectors, in diplomacy and in business, where that post-World War II generation was also in academia. That's where we had Theodore Hesburgh of Notre Dame and Kingman Brewster of Yale and uh, Clark uh, Kerr of Berkeley. Those people weren't these nomadic, uh, cowardly bureaucrats that try to hide their cowardice uh, in uh, tortured language about compassion that actually uh, it shows those inconsistencies. I couldn't agree with you more. Well, yeah, and I, you know, the reality is, um, you know, it, 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 it seems like it would be complex to arrive at standards um, for all of this, but it's actually simpler. Um, you know, it, you, you, you framed it well at the outset. If you are running a university, you are overseeing a community. And just as in any community, um, the things that should be proscribed are the things that put people's safety and well-being at risk. Uh, and if you're an intellectual community, the things that should be encouraged are honest discussions over uh, disparate views that are founded in reason and the truth. Um, and so it becomes equally possible in that kind of set of standards to say, no, you can't promote anti-Semitism because that leads to a hostile environment. And no, you can't promote, you know, um, white genetic supremacy because it's founded in bullshit and you're not, you know, it, so, you know, it, it just set the rules properly. I know exactly know, about, right. There, you know, people who say we never landed on the moon or, you know, we have, I've seen problems uh, even in this university we, we, where we had false science going out there. People that aren't trained as virologists and microbiologists uh, that were saying ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were, or panaceas for COVID. When in fact they they're not antiviral, they're antibacterial, and they they don't speak to this disease. The creators, Merck of of ivermectin, said, "You're crazy. This does this has this doesn't work for for COVID. Uh, there's no clinical evidence. There was plenty of scientific research that refuted it. And there are some who are arguing, well, you know, let freedom of expression. No, uh, like this university's motto is lux et veritas, light and truth. And many universities have similar missions, calling for the the uh, promotion of of, uh, of truth uh, uh, in society. And uh, how, can you, how can you stand by and use the credentials of the university, the platform of the university, stuff that would be ignored elsewhere if it wasn't coming from a great university, suddenly be credentialed and celebrated as truth when it's, it's proven to be false. The university has to speak out on these matters. And, and similar the denial of, of black slavery or the Holocaust or, or what happened at 9-11 or the, all these other conspiracy things, some of the stuff that 
Vivek Ramaswamy has been saying uh, this week lately for attention that not, that uh, January 6th was an inside job with no evidence to support that is just absurd. Yeah, and 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 this this is a concept that would explode Elon Musk's brain because we you know free speech as you say is not free. There are certain guidelines in a in a in a society that's got a functioning social contract. Uh, but maybe we can talk about that in the future because I have a sense that in a AI empowered society, um, the social contract is going to need to be reconsidered a little bit. Uh, and maybe we can we can talk about that at some point in the future. For now, I'm as always uh, exceptionally grateful for your joining us. Uh, and uh, for those of you who are interested in more of the kind of insights uh, that you've heard here from Jeff today, uh, I often see him uh, with columns in Fortune and with Time and in other places like that. And you should read those uh, regularly. Uh, he's also uh, regularly appearing on other media, and you should see uh, that. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to coax you back here sometime and we'll continue this discussion. Uh, happily, anytime, David. I'm very honored. Uh, I love the discussion. And, and thank you for those kind words about where uh, where people can find more on this. Um, uh, well, thank you and be well and have good holidays. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for listening. And, you know, come back later today and tomorrow we've got several podcasts today coming out there on all of these issues. And, and we hope you'll be able to join us, join the experts we talk to and get a little bit more depth than you get from other kinds of discussions. Until then, bye-bye.